Well, so here we are. We are just a few days away from the end of 2019. How many people here are glad to see 2019 come to an end? Anybody you're just glad to see this year come to an end? Yeah. Some of you guys wish you could just put 2019 on a repeat. Anybody here wish they could have another amazing, no, not a lot of that many hands, right? Where a lot of us are glad to see 2019 go. It's been a crazy year from crazy weather patterns throughout the world to crazy political patterns throughout the world. It's just, it's been a year we can just like, you know, let's just put that one behind us. You know what? Uh, and here we are, a brand new, uh, brand new year is about to happen, 2020. It's a brand new decade about to happen, which is, uh, you know, it's just a year. It's just a decade. But at the same time, these are milestones that we can use to mark our lives and see what God has in store. And it's also sometimes God does have something significant with the years and the decades that, of our lives that we need to pay attention to. For instance, 2020 is uh, an amazing year for me personally because I got married in 2000. So this, is, this year is going to be my 20th year of marriage, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. My wife is uh, running kids ministry right now, so she can't, I can't like, you know, point her out and tell you how awesome she is uh, in person, but she's there and she's awesome uh, and I love her. Um, also, 2020 is pretty significant for some other people in the room. I remember it was, it was a long time ago, a number of years ago, Pastor Gabe and I sat around talking about life and future. And this is at a time when Pastor Gabe was single and he was dodging girls left, right, and center, you know, and they were just like, and he was trying to figure out, you know, his life plan. And he had 2020 because it was the 2020. He has the thing for like, you know, symmetry and everything looking just right. And so he was like, that'd be the perfect year to get married. And I was like, nah, bro, that's not the perfect year to get married. That's the perfect year to have a kid. And it just so happens maybe this year something is brewing for Pastor Gabe. <laughs> And Brandy, I'm not saying I'm prophetic, uh, but I did say that this would be a good year for them to have a kid. Have a kid. Uh, I say a lot of things, and so I'm glad when some of them come true. So, <laughs> but this is a season that we've been looking at one verse through this whole Christmas season, this "For Unto You" series that we've been in, and that whole idea of "For Unto You," uh, for me, it has this transference in that right there, just even in those first, first words that stands out to me. Because it is, it's like a four and a two there, right? It's for us, to us, it's from something to something else, right? It's like the little Christmas tag that, you, that we probably all opened today, and we were, or not today, but this, this last week, and you're looking at the little tag, and it says, for Jeff, from, you know, whoever, right? And we're looking at those things, and we know it's for somebody, from somebody. Right, And that, this whole series has been about that. It's been something that's for us from God. Something that has been in God's possession that he now has wanted to give to us. And it's been an amazing series as we just have contemplated the transference of what God has given to us, even as we look at it in just one small verse. Luke 2.11 for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And in this single verse, we see a number of layers of who Jesus actually is. We see that he is the fulfillment of a promise, born this day in the city of David, something prophesied long before he had come about. 
They were looking forward. They had a promise, something they were holding on to for a future that they had not yet seen, but they were holding on to that promise. And he is the fulfillment of that promise. He is the long-awaited Savior. Now, they were being saved, uh, the people of Israel were being saved from more than what they actually realized. They thought it would just be political and geographic freedom, that they would become a nation that was free of any outside interference. And yet, the freedom that God was wanting to offer was so much deeper and richer than just being a nation that could stand on its own. It was going to be God's chosen people and also the salvation of all humanity, all those who would call on Jesus' name. Because he is the Christ, one set apart for that very specific person. And today we see that he is Lord, L-O-R-D. Now, Lord is defined as this, someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or a ruler. And in the Bible, we see the word Lord used in a couple of ways. The first way is, is in all caps, all capital letters, L-O-R-D. And in this form, it's referring to God by name, Yahweh. And in the Old Testament, and in their, in their culture, using the name Yahweh was, was not something that they, they just did. Because it was so holy and so set apart and so unique, they didn't even want to mention the word. They didn't even write the full word. They would take the vowels out of the word and only use the consonants to write it. And then when they saw that, they wouldn't even say, even in an abbreviated form, they would choose a whole other word to say, because God's name was so holy and so special, they didn't want to repeat it. So that's the first instance we see in the Bible of, of the name Lord or the use of the word Lord. And the second is, as I mentioned, the definition Lord, capital L, small O-R-D. And that is, again, referring to being a master or a ruler, etc. You know, and however you see the word Lord today, however your experiences are coming forward with that word, whether it's in a Charlton Heston moment where you, there's big booming voice saying, I am the Lord, and you're like, yeah, you remember like, you know, old movies where they had this like grandiose version of pronouncing things, or whether it's more of the English style, you know, where everybody tips their cap and says, good evening, Lord, and stuff like that, whatever it is. Right? Or whether maybe, maybe it's yours is, is it more in the terms of somebody just always lording something over you, right? Where they're just like, they're just like holding it over you, pushing it down on you. Whatever your experience is with Lord today, we just want to unpack what it could mean for Jesus to be our Lord. What does it look like in this, in this, in this setting? What could it be for you to allow Jesus to be Lord? No matter any ties that you have with the word that you're bringing today, what would it look like for Jesus to be Lord, to be an authority over you, to lead your heart? What does it look like for that to happen? What does it look like for Jesus to be a promised Savior, the anointed and specifically chosen one to be our Lord and leader? Now, in Exodus chapter 3, that's where we find the first use of Lord as God's name, where God gives his name and shares his name with humanity. Now, it's with Moses, one of the chosen leaders for, for the people of Israel. Moses, at this point, is not leading anybody. He's leading animals. He's leading sheep and in, in, in animals in the desert. That's, that's what he's doing at this point. And he sees a burning bush that's not being consumed. And in this holy moment, God is in the midst of that burning bush. 
God's presence is there, and God starts speaking to Moses and calling out Moses to be a leader of the Israeli people. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And here we are today, so many generations later, declaring that Jesus is Lord, that God is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord God. Now this Lord, Yahweh, God himself, was asking and sending Moses to lead the people of Israel. And Moses would ask Yahweh, Lord, to go with him and to go with them because he knew leading the people of Israel by name alone without God's presence with him would be futile. For him to step into that moment and say, this guy, I am that I am, has, has told me to lead you. Without God's presence walking with him, he knew that he wouldn't have the authority to, to do that. Now, I want us to take a look at Moses' life and in conjecture with this verse that we've been talking and have a couple questions for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. First question, how do we know we can trust Jesus to lead our hearts? How do we know we can actually trust him in that moment to lead us and guide us? It may sound like a juvenile question to some of us, but when we take a step and reflect on who is actually leading our lives, that's the second question for you. When was the last time you stopped and thought about who is actually leading your life? Who is actually in charge of making those decisions, big and small, in your life? for your family, for your future? Can you definitively say, well, of course it's God. He makes all my major decisions. If you're like me, that wouldn't be a true statement all the time. So, we look at New Year's and all the time that we take to reflect on the past, this past year, everything we've been through, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we reflect and look back at what was and what could be. It's a time where people set goals, right? We have all our New Year's resolutions that we set, all the things that this year I want to fill in the blank of what you want to see happen this year. And yet, the statistics will tell us that 92% of people's New Year's resolutions will fail in the first week. Yeah, I know, I just ruined it for a whole bunch of you there, right? You've been working on your New Year's resolutions. This year I'm gonna, this year I'm gonna, and then you look at, if you had 10 things on your list, you know, one of them you may get done. You know, it's not all that encouraging when we look at how, in general, I know you guys are totally different. First service, they were all about not finishing their resolutions. You guys, you guys are the outliers, gonna get it all done, I can tell. Now, for myself, looking at this next year and thinking about, man, what do I want to see accomplished? Big goals, small goals, everything like that. I thought, oh, you know what? I'll tie some goals in to like motivating things, right? And uh, 
I grew, I grew a beard in no, November because, you know, like they always do that like Movember mustache thing. And I thought, hey, what a great idea to be mo lazy and not have to shave, <laughs> right? And so I could grow a beard because everybody's like, oh, he must be doing that Movember thing, you know? Nah, just being lazy. Didn't want to grow, didn't want to shave, right? And I thought, you know what? Oh, it's growing in pretty nice. It's been about two months now that I've been growing this beard. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to keep the beard until I lose a certain amount of weight. And then I thought, I'm going to look like ZZ Top before I actually lose that weight. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm that committed to that type of, like, you know, reward goal. If you don't know ZZ Top, um, you're, you're um, you know, my age or older probably, but the beard, you know, can tuck into his belt type of thing, right? It's long. It's really long. I don't know if I'm that committed to the goal to, like, keep the beard until I lose. Maybe I'll change the amount of weight. Maybe that's the better side of it, right? No. But we make these goals, and we, we reflect, and we look at what we can do. But chances are, like if we're realistic, some of the goals we're probably not going to succeed at. We're actually going to fail. And instead of seeing failure as like, there I go again, not accomplishing what I'm supposed to do, yet again, another year of failure, instead of looking at it like that, I want to challenge you. What if your failure, what if failure could actually be used as a springboard? For your growth? What if your failure, even in small things or big things, the things that you've gone through in life that you know you've nailed, or the things that you like, you are like swinging for the fences and it just didn't turn out? What if those failures in your life could be used as a springboard for your growth? Because this is exactly what Moses faced in his life, in his leadership, and how he was growing as a man. Moses was going to lead the people of Israel. Moses was going to learn how to lead them more effectively and more efficiently throughout his life. And Moses also, though, was going to get frustrated. He was going to make mistakes. And ultimately, those mistakes would have a profound effect on him and lead him to an experience in a moment that, that would ultimately be so definitive in his life. Now, maybe you're like me and you remember having an I got this moment. Right? And the way I define it, and I got this moment, is like this, where somebody is trying to teach you how to do something, and they're walking you through it, and they're going to show you what it looks like to do something, and you're like, no, 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 I got this, I got this, I got this, right? And you just bust through and take over, right? Does anybody else, anybody know of a moment you can think of a time where you've done that? I remember as a time as a kid, one of my friends did that. We were, uh, we were jumping our bikes over ramps on, on the front sidewalk in front of the house, right? And we didn't really know what we were doing. We built this one ramp, and it was, like, super steep, like, way too steep, right? And we were like, my brother and I were, I don't know if this is a good idea. This looks a little too steep of a launch ramp for you to, to, for us to go off of. And our friend was like, I got this. And he was sure he could jump his bike over this ramp. And he starts pedaling down the sidewalk, coming up to it. And he pulls back on the handlebars when he hits that jump to go flying through the air. And the moment he hit it and launched, it was so steep and so tough to go up that it started, it jarred the front tire right off his bike. It knocked it right off. The tire went rolling in front of him. And we could, you can see it in slow motion. And he's there. And he looks for it. And he sees the tire. And his eyes go from like, evil Knievel, I've got this, to like, I don't got this. Right? 
and he's coming down, and that fork, the fork of the front of the bike is coming down, and it just hits, and it crumples, and then his face hits, and it's messy, and there's blood, and he's running home, and it was one of those moments where I got this, should have been like, you know what, let's take a look at that trajectory and just double check on that because that's not good. That's a childhood one. That one's, that one's ones that like, you know, risk assessment is way off, right? Maybe, maybe something somewhat trivial too, but maybe like how many people have put together Ikea furniture, right? You know? And you get that, you get that little booklet they give you with the guy that has no defining features whatsoever other than a big nose and he's trying to tell you how to put it together and he says all you need is a screwdriver but you know that it's gonna take something more than a screwdriver to put it together. You put the book aside because you're like, it's Ikea furniture, okay? Somebody, can, we can do this. You get about eight steps in and then you're looking at a piece or a part and you're like, well, where does this go? And you're trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden, you realize you missed a step about six steps back. Yeah, yeah, some of you have been there. Do you know the only thing worse than putting together IKEA furniture is trying to take apart <laughs> IKEA furniture to redo something that you missed the first time? That stuff's not meant to come back apart. You screw those little screws into that wafer board or, or whatever it's made out of. It looks like it's made out of a whole bunch of our communion element paper. You know, that's what it... <laughs> It's like, it probably tastes the same too, I bet, right? It looks like it's made out of that. And you're like, it's not meant to unscrew again. It's not going to work. And then that's when you also hear, I told you to read the directions. And it just adds so much more. It adds so much more salt to that wound of having to surrender and find where you should have been in that manual. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it's something along the lines of credit cards. Maybe it's something along those lines where you're like, I got this. I can handle being able to spend money on a credit card and, and manage my balance and not overspend and not spend money I don't have. And then all of a sudden you realize you're not just making, you know, you're paying off your credit card. You're only making payments on your credit card. And what you thought you had all of a sudden has you. We all have those moments where we said, I've got this. And when we, we really didn't have it. And the same thing applies to our lives with Jesus too, where we've said to him, I've got this, and we really didn't. Moses had those moments. He had those moments a lot. Some of those moments in his life, there we go, uh, is, is this. Moses, he was effectively born. If you don't know his story, his, he was an Israelite, right? But he was born when Israel was in captivity in Egypt. And even though he should have been born into captivity and, and been a slave, he, uh, by miracle, was given a life of privilege in Pharaoh's palace. And so while he knew everything about his heritage, because his mom uh, miraculously ended up being his nurse, even though that was a reality he had, he was also a person of privilege, influence, and power. And so knowing both those, those worlds that he lived in, he had and I got this moment in that setting where when seeing a, a fellow Israelite being beaten by his Egyptian slave lord, in that moment decided he had this. And he was going to, even if it was for one, he was going to stand up for the plight of his fellow Israelis. And he killed the guard. And that ended with him having to take off and run into the desert uh, for his life. And I got this moment that changed the trajectory of his life. 
maybe a little later, after he's seen God burning in this bush and everything happening and God calling him and him having all these defining power encounters, him versus Pharaoh and all these miracles that were happening and all these crazy, crazy events happening. And he's leading the people out of, out of Egypt, leading them to the promised land. And Moses has it in his head. He says, I got this, that he can take a million refugees and he can lead them through the desert and he's going to be the sole judge and adjudicator for all of their issues and problems. A million people. I got six kids. I can't handle adjudicating and, and handling all of their arguments. But a million, can you imagine a million people coming to you with all their complaints? Some of you guys maybe work in like, you know, the government and you get all those complaints and you feel like you have 40 million Canadians giving you their complaints. You know what it would feel like and you'd know exactly how incapable you are of solving all of those problems. And this Moses found himself in that position, saying, I got this, and then realizing very quickly he didn't and needing to take the wise advice uh, of somebody else. These times of Moses getting frustrated, making mistakes, ultimately led him to experience Again, a profound moment. And let's look at that right now. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff, that same staff that he did all those miracles with in Egypt, and assemble the congregation, um, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Okay, so all he has to do, stand with his brother in front of a rock and tell the rock, to let the water go. That's all he has to do. Now watch what happens. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. Now I always think of that, my generation, I'm thinking more of like, you know, Bruce Lee type of, Wah! you know, maybe you're thinking Charlton Heston, whatever you're thinking of. He takes that rock and he strikes that rock and he hits it. And listen, see, we see, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, listen to this, it's so key, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Wow. Isn't that the way it really works sometimes in our lives? Those I got this moments, it's about us stepping into the spotlight and us saying, I got this. And just like Moses, whether it's in a moment of frustration or arrogance or what with the people of Israel, he says to God, I got this. And instead of just speaking to the rock like he was supposed to, he takes a staff and he hits it. And it seems like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Ironically, he had used that staff to hit things before and to touch things before, and God worked in those ways. And whether he was thinking, yeah, yeah, I know the shtick. I know how this works. I can do this. And he just goes, yeah, yeah, I got this, God. You can just take a step back. I got this. Whether he does, whatever that moment is, it was a moment, like it says there, you did not believe in me and uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. You stole my spotlight, Moses. You took my moment. Instead of God getting the glory, instead of him just saying, you know, God says for that rock to let its water loose, you took that moment. And what did it do? It cost him being able to enter into the promised land with the people of Israel. 
Now Moses had an issue with talking. Right from the very beginning, he was like, anybody can talk but me, God. Send somebody else to talk but me. And yet here he is, this struggle that you'd think by this point he would have gotten over and gotten through. That by the end of this, this leadership journey that he's been on, which was get him out of Egypt, wander the desert for, for so long, leading these people, and then about to enter the promised land and set them up. You'd think he'd gotten over that early leadership lesson that he should have learned. And yet here he is. And before we, we dismiss Moses too quickly, I wonder how many of us can look back and see, oh, look, there's the same mistake I keep making over and over again. The lesson that I should have learned or could have learned, I keep needing to learn, where I keep saying, God, I got this, when we really don't. Is it a moment of failure for Moses? For sure, it is. He got this close to finishing the mission that God had for him. But I want you to see it from a slightly different perspective this morning. Because despite of these failures and faults that Moses had, Moses had allowed God to lead him. Moses had raised up Joshua. Moses did disobey God, but his yeses set up the next generation for their promised step. Listen to what it says. And the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That promise is right there. I will give it to your offspring. I've, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Moses didn't have that opportunity. But so many of his yeses and so many of his course correcting and his leaning into God and allowing God to to take him to new places, allowed for Joshua, allowed for that next generation, allowed for the Dawsons and the Viennas and the Fomkas to step into a place of leadership where sometimes we miss it. And so the failures, the failures that we have, when we allow God to use our lives, he can use our failures for others' future success. And in this situation, when we look at it, Jesus is our better Moses. Moses was this foreshadowing and this type of the Messiah. He was, he, was, he was the person that people could look to and see, this is kind of what the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the Christ, the Lord will look like. But in his flawed, fully human nature, he could never fully accomplish what we see perfected in Jesus. Because in Jesus, nothing is wasted. And you and I can learn from Moses. But we aren't called to be like Moses or to be led by Moses. We're called to be like Jesus and to be led by Jesus. And we allow him to lead us as we root ourselves in his perfection, not our own. We need to hear that this morning. We allow Jesus to lead us as we root ourselves in his perfection, not our own. Too many times we want to do things perfect. We want to do things just right. And the story of Moses, it's this great story, but the real story in it isn't Moses and what he does. The real story is God loving and leading Moses through it all. And that's where we can learn. That's where we can see Moses and, and look at his example. Moses was set on being this leader and thinking he needed to be this ultimate leader, this perfect leader, this leader that could strike rocks and make stuff happen for the people instead of allowing God 
to receive that glory. We allow Jesus to lead us when we have the courage to break up with perfection. We have this desire in our culture, in our lives, that we need to do everything perfect. We need to have the perfect Instagram photos. We need to have the the perfect life. We need to have the perfect scenarios for our future. We need to get everything just set right. We need the perfect jobs. Everything just needs to be perfect in our lives. And if it's not, it's this failure. It's this quit and move on. If it, you know, like we just... We just wanted to stop and move on to the next thing because it wasn't perfect. So just quit it and leave it and go. And that just leaves us in this cycle of searching for perfection, searching for our lives to have this, this, this all-togetherness that we cannot accomplish on our own. And we do the same thing in our relationship with God, looking for ways for us to be perfected in how we do things and allow, instead of leaning into his perfection, and not our own. Did you know, uh, the only thing, and this is a big thing that I know God's been working on me in, the only perfection that we can really lean into is is one that um, some of you would be familiar with, the old hymn, Blessed Assurance. And one of the verses in that hymn says this, perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Realistically, it's only that perfect submission. That's the only perfection that we should really actually be trying to attain. That we can perfectly submit our lives to God. That in every area of our lives, every facet of our lives, God truly is Lord and leader of what we do. Beyond that, any other search for perfection is really impossible and is really not going to lead us where we want to go. But it's so hard to sit under God's leadership. It's so hard to come under Jesus' leadership sometimes. We sit here and we want to do it in our own strength. Do you know the number one reason why people stop doing their Bible reading plans? because they break their streaks. They've been good for like seven days in a row and they hit that eighth day and they don't do their their Bible reading or the devotions when they they normally would and it gets a little off. Maybe it was on the weekend, it's a Saturday and they've gone through everything straight but then all of a sudden their schedule changes and their routine changes and they forget to do it and then it's over. We have a 21-day fast coming up and I guarantee you in my life, there's been times when we've been doing, I've been here, this, is, this will be my ninth, my ninth year of doing this 21-day fast at Life Center. And over the eight years past, there's been moments where in that 21 days where it's like trying to hit 21 days and, and follow that routine where you hit a day and you're off and you're like, what do I do now? Or maybe you're at, a, you're at the... the, the water cooler or a coffee station at your work and there's treats there or something there and you're doing a fast of no sweets and without even thinking of it, you're sitting there and you take it and you eat it and you're like (gasps) (laughs) and then you're like I broke it now (laughs) you know (laughs) we quit because we we didn't have perfection right but what if what if 
Instead of having our eyes focused on a streak of consecutive days hit, nailing it, not missing a beat, instead of working on looking at the streak, we look at the stretching. We look at what God is doing that's like, oh, this is tough. What he's teaching me right now, this is hard. This is a hard lesson I'm learning right now. What if instead of going, I hit my streak, I hit my streak, I'm doing great. Been to the gym six times, this is awesome. Instead of looking at the streak, we look at the stretching and the growth that God is trying to do in our lives and focus on that so that when we miss a day or things are a little off, we're not, we're not like, oh, well, quit. I'm done now. Instead of doing that, we can say, but God has been stretching me so much that this little trip, this little hiccup, this little whatever, I don't need to rest in my perfection because I got his perfection that I get to lean on and lean into and cover me because I'm never going to be perfect the way I would need to be perfect before God. Let's allow him to be God in our lives, to be Lord of our lives, to lead us in our lives. John Acuff says this, the first lie of perfectionism tells you about goals is this, quit if it isn't perfect. And it's so true for us. This year, this next decade, root how you follow Jesus in his perfection, not your own. There's nothing wrong with a goal or a streak, but don't just see the streak, see the stretching. He stretches us to continue to allow God to be both the center of our focus and the one who gets the glory. Earlier in the talk, I asked you two questions. One, how do we know we can trust Jesus to lead our hearts? How do we know we can trust him with all the decisions that we need to make, all the things that weigh heavy on our hearts? Because Jesus alone is the perfect one. He alone is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Culture will come and go. Goals will come and go. The fads will come and go. You and I will come and go. But who else do we know on earth that is the alpha and omega? Who else do we know that is both the first and the last, who is the beginning and the end? How do we know that we can trust Jesus to lead our hearts? Because he's the same God who gave that promise to Abraham. He's the same God who revealed his name to Moses. He is the same God whose promise was made perfect even through Moses' failings. And he's the same God who doesn't ask us to be perfect but for us to rely on his perfection. Hebrews 2.10 says this, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus that he was there from the very beginning. In him all things exist and through him, all are brought to salvation. And it's in his perfect suffering sacrifice that we find our rest. May we have that perfect submission in him. May Jesus not only be a promise. May Jesus not only be your savior. May Jesus not only be that anointed one set apart. May Jesus be the lover and leader of your heart and life. The second question I asked 
was when was the last time you stopped and thought about who was really leading your life? And really, that's a question that only you can answer. When was the last time you did stop and think, who's leading me in the decisions I'm making? Are there areas of my life, areas of my leadership, in my family, in my business, at school, and all the things that I'm going through, are there areas of my life that I'm not letting God lead in? Are there moments that I'm going to God and saying, I got this, and trying to do it on your own? This week, why not reflect as we end 2019 and start 2020? Why not reflect on who is leading your life? Who is Lord of your life? Why don't you allow God to reveal areas where maybe you have said, yeah, I got this. I don't, I don't need you in this space. Maybe it's time to let God lead in those areas. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never actually had a moment where you've held Jesus as your promised Savior, your anointed one, or Lord. Maybe today is the day that you find your rest in that perfect submission to Jesus' loving and leading of your heart. Next week, we begin that 21 days of prayer and fasting that Jesus would give us a 2020 vision for a new year, a new decade. And it's also a leap year coming up this year. Maybe it's time for you to leap into allowing God to lead your life, lead your family, lead your business, help you students make decisions in your future. Maybe it's time to allow God to do that this year and for you to leap into his safe arms where he can lead you he can love you, and he can take you places that you could never get to on your own, where your own leadership would actually disqualify you from getting there. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us so much, that you continue to seek us and, and, and come to us and, and try to lead us into new things for you, God. We thank you that there's so many lessons that we learn from your word of your love, your salvation, how much you care for us. God, we thank you for how you led Moses and the promise that, that you had for the people of Israel. We thank you that in, in grace, you allow your promise to keep being fulfilled even when we fail you. And God, we accept that you are also truth and that when we do fail, there can be consequences to those things. And God, we know that in, in grace and truth and love, all these things are in you. And God, as we perfectly submit to you, as we seek to allow you to be Lord, master, leader, ruler of our lives, and we lean on your perfection, not our own, we can truly find the freedom that you offer us and the rest that you offer us in you. God, I just pray that if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you to be Lord of their lives, God, we pray that today would be the day they take that step of faith to, to ask you to be Lord, to lead their lives.
to submit and understand that the brokenness that's inside each and every one of us that causes us to be separated from you, that can be bridged by who you are, Jesus, by your perfect submission to the Father, and by your perfect sacrifice for us. And God, as we enter 2020, we pray that you would, you would prod us you would focus, you would motivate, you would speak to our hearts of areas where we've said to you, I've got this. God, may we surrender these areas to you. May you give us the clarity to have 2020 vision for this next year. Not to see the whole road in front of us and everything that's going to happen, but instead to see you right in front of us and to follow you as you lead us. May your spirit fill us with everything that we need for this coming year. God, we thank you for all you are and all that you've given us. We pray this in your name. Amen.